Today would have been a good morning for you to sleep in. But now that you're here, you are a target of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, which means that you should not just be a hearer, but a doer. And if you just planned to hear this morning, you should have slept in. But now that you're here, by God's grace, may you be a hearer and a doer. I want to share with you a prayer that I have been praying over the last several months, and it goes something like this. Lord, I am your servant. Do with me whatever you want. I'd like to think that's really my heart, but I've I, I got to let you in on something. I have a tremendous amount of selfish ambition that tries to get in the way of believing that and praying that, because I would say that most of my life is aimed at serving myself. I often evaluate whether something is going to be profitable based upon how comfortable it will make me and my family. One of my staff guys several years ago, he sent me and he showed me an ad for a mission trip. This is no joke. Here is the tagline for this mission trip. You ready? Affordable, safe, and hassle-free. That's the kind of mission trip I want to go on, right? That, that's the kind of Christian life I want to live. I want a life you know, that's kind of affordable. I certainly want to be safe. And if I want to be a Christian... I want it to be hassle-free. And that's why I have to keep coming back to this prayer. Lord, I'm your servant. Do with me whatever you want. And if you study the word, that is the mentality of a lot of the characters of the Bible, specifically in the New Testament. Think about some of the, the main writers of the New Testament. For example, the Apostle Paul in Romans 1, 1, he says, Paul a servant of Christ Jesus. James 1.1, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's Peter in 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude 1.1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. And even Mary, remember when Mary, the mother of Jesus, when the angel told her that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, she said this in response in Luke. She said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary, she's saying, Lord, I am your servant. Do with me whatever you want. Now, I just want to admit something to you. I'm cool with praying that prayer if it leads to God doing something big through me. I mean, I kind of want to be one of those famous martyr Christians. I've talked about this before. And so, God, if you want to do something big through me where I'm going to leave this awesome legacy that the next generation is going to read about me, then I am for sure going to pray that prayer. Lord, I'm your servant. Do with me whatever you want. Just make sure that I'll be famous. But I'm wondering, what if God 
doesn't have this world-changing role for me, what if instead I'm going to live a life of obscurity and suffering leading to an early death? Do I still want to pray that prayer? You, you still want to pray that prayer? Lord, I'm your servant. Please let me lead a life of obscurity and suffering leading to an early death. Are you down with that? This morning we're going to look at two men who seemed, I think, to model this prayer. And they were so captured by the ways of God that I think they were willing to go forego worldly ambitions and angling to get ahead. And what we're going to see this morning, these two men were not seeking that which was affordable. They certainly weren't seeking which was safe or hassle-free. And in these two men, one of them will be elevated to be one of the greatest characters of the Bible. In fact, some of you are even named out of this character. But then there'll be others who are named after the second character who died an early death. I'm not saying just because your name, you're going to be elevated or die an early death, but you might. Both of these men seem to be servants of God, submitting themselves fully to God and his ways. So let's go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 20 and pick up the story again. I know some of you are visiting, and, and you're like, First Samuel, where's that at? Table of contents, check it out. Sit next to somebody, maybe they can show you. And for those of you who know where it's at, maybe you don't know what is going on in First Samuel right now, I'm going to kind of bring you up to speed. The current king is Saul. The anointed king is David, which means that's the one that God chooses now. Saul is going to fade away, and David is going to rise. But currently, Saul wants to kill David. David wasn't safe with his wife. David wasn't safe with the prophet Samuel. And now he's going to show up on the doorstep of Jonathan. Now, before I jump into this, it's a lot of verses. Let me see how many are in this chapter. Whoa, 42 we're going to study a whole chapter of the Bible. Are you, are you okay with that? I hope so. Should have slept in, right? Now, 42 verses. So you're going to need some stamina, some strength to think, to stay with me. There is an amazing, amazing story going on here that God, I believe, is trying to show us. But you've got to stick with it. Don't check out. All right? So we're going to jump into this. And we're going to, we're going to some semblance, go verse by verse, portion by portion. Let's go ahead and jump in. First Samuel 20, verse 1. Then David fled from Naoth. In Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? David shows up with Jonathan and he's like, What is the deal with your dad that he keeps trying to kill me? John's response in verse 2. And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. Jonathan's like, you know, my dad, he's a little crazy. Sometimes he throws spears at people, but he does not want you dead. I can guarantee you that. David presses. Verse 3. 
But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. It's just a matter of time. Your dad's going to kill me. And Jonathan's like, all right, what do you want me to do about it? If that's true, what to doubt it is, what do you want me to do about it? Verse 4. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon. That's just a, the first appearance of the moon at a certain time that marks the beginning of the month. Tomorrow is the new moon. And I should not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asks leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city. For there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. David proposes a little test for his uh, father, for Jonathan to do with his father over dinner to discover the intentions toward David. David was to skip this new moon meal or festival with a polite excuse. And if Saul says, good, then all's well. But if he gets angry, then he's out to kill David. David continues in verse 8. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? You're going to miss the rest of the chapter if you miss this, so you really got to stick with me here. David just referred to a previous covenant that he and Jonathan made. That covenant is referenced in chapter 18. I'm going to put it up for you right now. In chapter 18, it says, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belts. Jonathan's giving David all of these uh, armor, bow, and, and belt, and sword. And Now, when you read and you hear sermons about Do- Jonathan and David, you read the commentators, they're going to make much of how they're such great friends and you should be friends with one another like Jonathan and David are friends with one another. But, you know, and I know the friendship's there, but this is, this is not just Jonathan saying, hey, David, you know, I got this best friend's necklace, little heart, and I'm going to give you half, and I'm going to wear half, and we're going to be best friends. No, this is a political allegiance here. This is a political move by Jonathan. He's, he's passing all this gear over to David and, and like this political pact. He is transforming allegiance off of his own right to the throne and he is handing it over to David. Because Jonathan somehow senses and sees that David is the one to take the throne. David is referencing back to that covenant. And he's saying... Uh, Jonathan, are you still with me? Am I still the one to come to the throne? Do we still have that covenant? Well, you gave me all your gear and your allegiance, and I'm still going there. You, you got my back, right? Or, or are you going to get me killed? Are you going to let your dad kill me? Do we still have this covenant that you're going to support my rise to the throne without killing me? Jonathan's still on board. He's very firm and serious. Look at verse 9. And Jonathan said, 
far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let's go out into the field. So they both went out into the field and Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as his own soul. Don't don't lose me here. I'm going to summarize it again. This is Jonathan and David making this covenant. Jonathan says he's holding firm to the covenant that David shall rise to the throne and he is committed to David coming to the throne. Jonathan is not going to kill David. Jonathan's not going to hinder it. He's not going to let his father kill David. He is keeping his portion of the covenant where David will rise to the throne. Jonathan has his back. But get this. That's the covenant And that's the end for Jonathan. That's his part of the bargain. Now, David has a part of the covenant as well. It's his part of the bargain. Now, get this. Here's David's part. David's part is that he's going to hold up his end that when he comes to the throne, he is not going to kill Jonathan. It's natural for a new king, when he comes to the throne, to kill Jonathan. The dynasty, you know, the dynasty, who's ever left of the old descendants of the other king so that he's not going to come and try to overtake him. So it's natural for the new king to decimate the families of the formal rivalry. And Jonathan wants to make sure that he and his descendants are safe. Look at it again. I want you to see verse 14 and 15 again. Look at it again. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. Here it is. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Mutual agreement here. Jonathan will see that David comes to the throne and prosper and not be killed along the way. And David, when he finally gets to the throne, he is not going to kill Jonathan or his descendants as he takes the throne. That's easy to understand, right? But this is where I need to clue you in. Here's going to clue you in. You ready? This is not normal behavior. 99% of the people who are in this position are angling with worldly ambition and trying to get ahead. Jonathan is the heir. He should be eager to take the throne. He should be the next king. But somehow he knows that God has already revealed that he will not take the throne. And somehow he is going along with God's plan and he submits to God's plan. And David will come to the throne 
And it should be natural and normal to kill all the heirs of Saul. But he will stick to the covenant. And in the future, you will see him sparing Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. How about that for a name? In 2 Samuel 9, you'll see David holding his end of the bargain and sparing Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. So you have Jonathan, David, so captured by something bigger to them that they are willing to forego the way the world operates. They're they're letting go of their worldly ambitions and their way that things are normally done to get ahead. And they're saying, Lord, I am your servant. Do with me whatever you want. We're going to do things different here. Whatever you want, Lord, I'm your servant. We will do things totally different. And we bridge it over to us and we say, okay, if God's plan is still unfolding today and he still wants to use people in here today like David and Jonathan, if that's true, which I I think that it is, then it seems like there should be this disposition that we're saying, okay, God, if your plan is unfolding and we know I'm not supposed to pursue this this selfish ambition of getting ahead. I'm not supposed to angle and, and kind of knock you out so I can take your place. Then it seems to me that, that this disposition or spirit shall still be alive today. In fact, it is all throughout the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2. I encourage you to memorize this. One of the best passages in the Bible, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. I've memorized it in the NIV. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but humility consider others better than yourselves. Each one of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. So I'm deferring to you. I'm not trying to angle you out of the picture while I try to get ahead of you. And if you pay attention to Philippians chapter 2, who does Paul talk about right after this passage? Anybody know? Starts with a J, ends with an S. Jesus. He's in heaven. Humbles himself. Takes on flesh. Humbles himself further to go to the cross. Bearing the sin of selfish ambition such as myself. People trying to angle in a head such as myself takes our sin upon him, serves us, dies, bearing the Father's wrath in our place, buried, rises again. Now all the selfish ambition people that like us, selfish sinners, could put our faith in Jesus, be forgiven, transformed by the Spirit, and now we are told, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. God's got a plan. It's unfolding. doesn't mean we're knocking each other out and taking each other out to get to wherever we need to go. Now, here's something really cool. This Saturday, there's going to be uh, a wedding for a couple in our church. Uh, They're getting married on Saturday, and their main text is Philippians 2. Great way to start. Wouldn't you agree? And I would say that most often... Christian marriages that I see, at least initially leading up to the wedding, start off in a good place. So you have a, a single guy and a single girl, and they, they meet each other, and they fall in love, and, and, and it's always like, we're going to be different than everybody else. We're really going to serve the Lord because 
you're passionate and I'm passionate and we're just, we're just ready to go. We're ready to serve and do whatever. We'll go around the world. We'll die whatever you want. And then they get married. And then the conversations shift a little bit. And instead of taking risks, they'll say things like, well, is that affordable? Well, is, is it safe? Well, is it hassle-free? And then the married couples will show up at church and we'll go to the Word and we'll, and we'll tell you things about sharing your faith. We'll say things about, hey, you know what? There's a lot of, of, of orphans in Chicago. You maybe should consider doing foster care. Or maybe you should reach out to, to widows. And so these fired-up single people, before they got married, get married, go home, and they start discussing this, this foster care thing. And they're like, well, you know, that doesn't sound very affordable. And I don't know if it's safe. And it's certainly not hassle-free. So I don't, I don't think that's for us. And so you have fired up single people, ready to do whatever, get married, living the safe life. Anybody need to repent right now? Huh, I'm with you. How does that happen? How does that happen? Our brothers and sisters, we keep coming back to this crazy prayer, Lord, I am your servant. Or if you're married, Lord, we are your servants. Do with us whatever you want. Whatever. All right, let's look at the plan. Well, there's a lot left before us in this text. Look at the plan. There's a lot here. Verse 18. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the young man saying, go find the arrows. If I say to the young man, look, the arrows are on this side of you. Take them. Then you are to come. For as the Lord lives, it will be safe for you and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you. Then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. Now we're going to come back to this little arrow game plan in a moment. But first, Jonathan needs to test out his dad. Let's head to dinner. Verse 24. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite. And Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. That would be ritual uncleanness in the Old Testament. We don't need to go into the details of that. Verse 27. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal? either yesterday or today. Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Saul wants to know why David's not at a customary place there at the table. And Jonathan explains his absence. And Saul is not buying it. And Saul's response is filled with so much cussing and cursing. You will need to cover your ears as you read. Verse 30. 
Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame, to the shame of your mother's nakedness? I'm not going to explain any of that. Verse 31, For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered, Saul his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. He's always doing that. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. Oh, Saul's just spewing. He's cussing and cursing. He's filled with rage. But I will say this, from an earthly point of view, it makes sense what he's saying. Look at verse 31 again. Look at it. He says to his son, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you see it here, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Look, Jonathan, why would you be so foolish to side with David? Because if David comes to the throne, you're never going to come to the throne. What about you and your kingdom? <laughs> what about you and your kingdom? Let's kind of make some common sense here and put two and two together. David comes up, you don't. So, Jonathan, what about you and your kingdom? That's a good question. That makes sense to me. It made me make sense to you. But Jonathan is like, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about my kingdom. It's not about selfish ambition. It's not about angling ahead. Jonathan is, is looking by faith. It, it seems to me by faith, he seems to be looking at another kingdom. He seems to be looking at that kingdom that, that Jesus spoke about when, when he said in, in the book of Matthew, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Through your life, your heart and other people will whisper and speak certain things to you. And, and it may sound like this. What about you and your kingdom? I mean, no one's going to ever really say that to you, right? But it's going gonna, it's gonna to come out like, well, what about you and your future? What about you and your happiness? What about you and your me time? What about you and your security? What about you and your money? And you're going you're to face this on a daily basis. We have these kingdoms colliding. What about you and your kingdom? And I really think we should have the perspective. It seems that Jonathan and David are taking... And Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. There are going to be times in your life, I guarantee, okay, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to be prophetic here. There are going to be times this summer where you're going to have some clashing of kingdoms and some opportunities, whether you're going to seek yourself or you're going to seek the kingdom of God and the decisions you start to make over the summer. Like let's just say, 
really small decisions that may seem huge to you right now. You're young, you're over the summer, you're in love with someone, uh, you're dating them, and then, and then you shouldn't be, right? If you know what I'm saying, you shouldn't be dating them, they're not following the Lord, you know you shouldn't be dating them, and, and you're like, uh, I, I think I'm going to call it off. And so you start telling your friends, I'm going to call it off, and then your friends are like, well, what about you and your kingdom? What about you and your happiness? What about you and this great relationship you have? And so you're making kingdom decisions right now when you're young, but then you're going to start to age. And as you age, you'll have these kingdom decisions to make. And the one that really sticks with me is, is a guy, maybe you've heard of him. I doubt it, though. His name is, is Robertson McQuilkin. Maybe you've heard of him. Robertson McQuilkin used to be president of, of a great university, prestigious university. And now if you're a president of the university, I would say you have arrived, right? I, I mean, maybe there is something a little higher than being president, but if you're president of the university, you have arrived. And he's in this position, I'm sure, I mean, how many degrees do you have to get to be president of the university? Probably a few. And you're working toward that your whole life. So Robinson McQuilkin arrives, and so he's at the top of his game. He's president. And while he's there, his wife, she has Alzheimer's. And he's made the decision, he's making the decision, he comes to the decision that he's going to leave being president. And he's going to full-time care for his wife. Oh, I think about some clashing and some kingdoms there. But get my, I'm just guessing here that the kingdom decisions he was making when he was 18, 19, 20, whatever affects him getting older and older and older. So when he comes to a time where he's either going to continue to be in this prestigious presidential role or is he going to stay home and be a caretaker of his wife, it's probably a lot easier decision when you start making those kingdom-clashing decisions when you're young. Let's finish up this story, this arrow game plan. I know you're so eager to see how it ends. Let's look at verse 35. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David, with him a little boy, and he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. Because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. That's the way they depart. They confirm the oath one more time. Make sure you get it. Jonathan's side of the covenant. David will rise to the throne, and Jonathan will not kill him, and he will not tip off his father. He'll let him rise to the throne. And David's part of the covenant. As he comes to position of power on the throne, he will not kill Jonathan, nor kill Jonathan's offspring. This is not the natural. This is not the way the world worked back then. It's not the way that it works now. You have two servants 
focused on the kingdom of God, each playing their part, and I will tip you off. One will rise to the throne, and the other will do his part to make sure he comes to the throne. But Jonathan will have an early death. They each played their part in God's plan. Now, I have to tell you this story. Uh, it's really gripped me. It was my, my, a guy who really built into me told the story, and I want to apologize ahead of time because it's a sports story, and I don't typically like to be the stereotypical preacher who tells sports and Lord of the Rings stories. So I try to keep them off limits, but here's a sports story, all right? Try to track if you can. Uh, it's about uh, Ronnie Lott played football, American football, for the San Francisco 49ers. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe not. It's okay. Hall of Famer, four Super Bowls. In the early 80s, he was drafted to play cornerback. Uh, he was great at playing corner for a couple of years. Um, he was like a, you know all-pro corner. Then the coach, Coach Walsh, came to him and said, um, Ronnie, we drafted this other guy. He's a rookie, and all he can play is corner. I know that's your thing, but I'm just going to ask you to talk to your agent and um, just, you know, consider switching to safety. Now, when I know you get to safety, you're going to have to figure that out. You're going to get burned a lot. In fact, some of our losses will probably be blamed on you. Uh, But I'm asking you, would you consider switching positions? And Ryan Lott said back to him, Coach, for what you guys pay me, and for the sake of the team, I'll play wherever you want. God, for what you've done for me in Christ and for the sake of the kingdom, I'll play wherever you want. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Maybe it's going to be something that's going to be awesome and the church is going to applaud it and I'm going to rise to the throne like like David. Or maybe, maybe... I'm going to be one of those obscure people, live life of suffering to an early death. You pick. You decide. Because whatever you pick is right and good and honors and glorifies you. But I'll tell you what my commitment is going to be, and I'm hoping this is going to be your commitment too. Are you ready for this? No more seeking this kingdom of self where we want lives that are, that are safe. Let's be done with that. Let's quit asking the question, is it affordable? Quit, quit that. And my goodness, let's throw out that concept of living a hassle-free life. It's, it's really not about you and your, your comfort. It's about serving a God who's so much bigger than us and loves us, who sent his son Jesus to die for us, filled us with the Spirit, called him to seek his and his kingdom alone and all that other stuff that you're worrying about. It's all going to fall into place in his time and his way for his glory. But your part, Lord, I'm your servant. Do with me.
whatever you want. Let's, let's go to the Lord and pray that right now. And, and where you're at praying right now, no one's staring at you. How about you just kind of open your hands and make, make that your prayer. Just open your hands before the Lord right now in prayer. And you can pray after me silently. No one's going to know you're even praying it. Just if this is really your heart prayer, then, then pray it. Lord, I'm your servant. Do with me whatever you want. Whatever you want, Lord. Something big, something small, something known, something unknown. I repent of my seeking after a comfortable life. I don't want anything to mess with me or hassle me. I repent of just trying to make decisions based upon what's affordable. Making decisions based upon what's safe for me and my family. Lord, forgive us. We repent. We repent of our selfish ambition. And as we head into this summer, we're we're probably not going to see each other for about three to four months. Lord, keep us from drifting. Keep us from pursuing selfish ambition. Keep us from pursuing our kingdoms. And stir us up to be about seeking you and your kingdom for your glory as your servants. In Christ's name, amen.